You're tuned in to the illest on middays. And on the line, I have former congressional candidate for District Illinois 7 and community organizer, Kena Collins, on the line with me. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, no problem. I thank you for taking out time to join this call. Now, you know, what's going on in the world today with the protesting? That's nothing new to you. You know, you've been fighting police reform for quite some time. You know, what's going on with the protest? Does that shock you in any way? Um, no, I think that this is a culmination of years of just bottled up frustration, generations of police brutality that have plagued marginalized communities all across the country. And for decades, we've seen groups push back on police state sanctioned violence um, and just violence in general in their communities. I think also uh, what's been interesting in this entire process is the selective outrage that people have. Um, oftentimes people forget that the inception of America started the Boston Tea Party, which was the destruction of property, right? And that uh, launched the Revolutionary War and helped create the tenets um, of the United States Congress. Uh, I mean, excuse me, con Constitution. And so, um, you know, this is a part of the American fabric to push back um, on regimes, push back on, like I said, police state sanction violence. Um, and I also believe that the, the movement has evolved. A, Black Lives Matter has become way more mainstream mm -hmm. than it was years ago. So we're seeing larger crowds of people who are not necessarily from the African-American community who are participating. Um, and then B, it's a very young crowd um, of people. We're talking 13 to 17 year olds who are becoming activated politically um, and activated within their community. So I'm, I'm not shocked at all. Now, do you feel that, you know, that the protesting that's taking place, do you feel it's being effective? I would say yes. My problem with the fact that we've always had to protest is that why, what the question that America has to ask rather is why does it take a viral consumption of black suffering in order for justice to come about or action to happen? Um, and what we, what we see is that black people collectively always have to shame America into doing what's right. And so um, that's what we're seeing on the ground in this protest and these protests. We're seeing all 50 states participating, which we haven't seen that in a very long time since I say the Women's March um, was the last time we seen all 50 states protesting for one collective um, agenda. And so, you know, just with that, I, I do think that in the long haul, it'll be effective. Change happens, in my opinion, at the intersection of activism and policy. With things taking place, I, I got to ask you, you know, do you feel our, our mayor and our governor uh, from the protests, and do you feel that eventually they will impose new regulations or strategies to better suit the city's uh, unbalanced judicial system? Well, what, what we've seen traditionally is that we've trained police officers. They've done, President Obama had a police taxing force. We've had community conversations. We've had these things happen time and time again. What we are demanding collectively as organizers and stakeholders in marginalized communities that get impacted by this kind of violence, what we're demanding is that they defund the police and they fund community. And until we do that, um, we're not going to see the change that we need to see, right? Um, and what do we mean by defunding the, the police? If none of these elected officials are talking about decreasing police funding and increasing um, funding in public education, quality health care, and giving people a livable wage, then 
I don't think that the conversation can be moved forward. And that's what we're pushing for. So I know that the mayor has uh, put out a 90-day kind of timeline of the reforms that she wants to see in the Chicago Police Department. I don't agree with that. We don't need people in the community to come in and talk to police officers. What we need is to start holding them accountable. And that means arresting and charging cops who are murdering uh, unarmed black people all across this country. Now, you know, I heard you speak on defunding. And, you know, recently the mayor also announced that she'll be doing, a, you know, giving a $10 million funding for heavy looted areas on the south and west side parts of the city. What's your perspective on, on that? It's not enough. Here's what I always say. The moral compass of any country or city is the budget, right? So even on the federal level, when we see um, the American budget or our budget in Congress swell, it's because they're they're beefing up the military, right? And we're seeing the same thing on the, the city level. Um, the Chicago police budget has increased to $1.7 billion for 2020. That's a 7% increase. billion. It takes up about 40% of our city budget. But we're talking about CPS and Chicago Public Schools needing $300 million to just scrape the mold out of the walls and get the lead out of the water. We're talking about all of our mental health facilities being shut down by the Rahm Emanuel administration. We're talking about people having living in not just food deserts, but healthcare deserts all across this city. So $10 million, that's a that's a sham. You know, so um, when you have a $1.7 billion budget, I say slash that and give it back to the people. You know, what do you feel police need to change when serving black and brown or poverty-stricken communities? Well, what we have seen with the police is that the, the system in itself cannot rehabilitate and reform itself. That's just the facts. We, the DOJ, after the Laquan McDonald tapes were released, they came and they did a wide-sweeping um, investigation, Loretta Lynch did, and what she put out was a 200-plus page report of impropriety, misconduct, torture tactics, being employed, uh, used by the Chicago Police Department. So for me, I'm not invested in what the Chicago Police Department needs to change. I'm invested in accountability, but secondly, I'm also invested in um, community restorative justice practices. So that means that having the community come in, um, investing in groups like the violence interrupters, um, who basically de-escalate gun violence in communities, and it's been proven, right, that they've been able to do this with ceasefire. I want to invest in, you know, um, healthy uh, living in our community, beautifications of our community, and, you know, things like urban farms and community gardens that focus on the environment. I don't want to put my attention on the police because I feel like it is just such a corrupted system and it, it's not going to be able to rehabilitate and reform itself. So we need to be redirecting our energy and our attention to the, the community, uh, back into the community. Now, have you, you know, with you taking part in uh, being, you know, organizing the community, taking part in gun violence issues, taking part in, uh, you know, justice reform, have you seen any changes? I mean, I think that, what, what we're seeing right now is we're in a unique time in American history where basically the disparities are being highlighted. Um, we're, we're at a place where 40 million Americans across the country are unemployed. Um, what this global health pandemic has done, what the novel coronavirus has shown, is that America's pop, public policy is inherently racist. And so the people who got hardest hit by this pandemic, um, it was because they already had underlying health issues. If we look at the public health mandates, one of the public health mandates is to wash your hands, right? Um, how can you wash your hands with lead in the water and your community? And that's the problem that happens, you know, wide sweeping across the country. 
And so um, I do believe in the power and the strength that the community has collectively come together. After these protests, the community, my community here in Austin, we, we immediately galvanized around each other. Um, but the onus shouldn't fall on us. We pay taxes in this country. We, we pay taxes in the city. Um, and these services should be provided to the constituents. So on the community end, I do see us galvanizing. I don't see that the same galvanizing happening on the public policy front. Um, now, you know, I got to take my time out and salute you because first and foremost, if I'm not mistaken, you were one of the youngest black women to run for Congress. Correct. That's historical. If you ask me, that is very historical. And you hail from Illinois. Uh, with that being said, um, what has that taught you for the long run? That, you know, as, as far as you like your standpoint and how far you can go to really push the envelope on things. I mean, I think that um, in, in the congressional round, what, what I've heard from constituents was just that everyday people want to be represented by everyday people. And um, there are so many people who came before us that trailed the uh, blazed the trail um, so that I would have the opportunity to do that. But what it is also to say is to hold the Democratic Party accountable to black women. Because what we know is that black women are the strongest voting bloc in this country. Um, and the Democrats can't win without black women. So if and we collectively vote in the moral fiber of this country, we there are several times Doug Jones um, and, and Roy Moore in Alabama. Um, black women saved that election, right? Um, you know, Stacey Abrams running. Um, black women, not over 95% of black women voting against Donald Trump. So we always collectively vote in the interest of not just our community, but the greater um, American community, right? And so if we have that much political power in our vote, imagine what could happen if you start letting us lead. And so that was what, you know, um, our campaign was essentially about was to say that we need to shift the paradigm of what a leader looks like in this country. I do want to make this one of my final statements to you. Why is it important to have someone like you in Congress? In my race, I was the only candidate in that race who um, was in, from a marginalized community. So when we talk about the greatest disparities in America, we need somebody who can, A, I had already written policy and legislation and passed it into law, but B, I'm living through these experiences in Austin. Um, and if we're talking about gun violence, if we're talking about food deserts, if we're talking about closing the pay wage equity gap, um, I, fit, I fit into all of those boxes. And so, um, like I said, people wanted a return of representative democracy. And so that's what we are just seeing all across the country, people who can speak to the everyday issues um, for families who are living paycheck to paycheck. So my background is just organizing is in my blood. Both of my parents are union workers um, at CIU and Teamster, respect, respectfully. At the end of the day, those values were a lot of values that resonated with the voters um, in our district. We can have an entire conversation about what, how you win and how you lose. But ultimately, I think it's just, are we ready to start electing young, working class black women into Congress? Because traditionally, that's not what people think of when they think of congressional leaders. And so, um, you know, it's a vote for me was a vote for all of us and the people's agenda. And so, um, you know, we're continuing in that vein and in that spirit in, in, in organizing in the district. And even the volunteers from my campaign have continuously galvanized around the issues that we talked about on the campaign trail. But, you know, I think that if we want to see a change in American policy, if we want to see... 
um, a change and a lot of these things that are happening, we need to start lifting up leaders who are the most vulnerable and the most marginalized in our population. I definitely thank you for taking time out to uh, chat with me. Uh, Can you let people know where they can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Kina uh, Collins. So that's K-I-N-A, last name Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, underscore, underscore, (laughs) on Twitter. And then just you can find me at Kina Collins on any of the social media platforms. Again, I thank you for taking the time out to chat with me, and you enjoy the rest of your day.